0: That was one of the better ones. Wow. don't you Wow!
1: Yeah, welcome to the Theo 101 Pop Culture Podcast. That was actually kind of stylish.
0: A little stylings, you know. Yeah. We're getting on in the semester, and uh, <laughs> we have to we have to kind of keep going. You know, I've told myself maybe I should try to learn to play an actual song on the musical typing. But oh, then I but thought why? I wanted no. to learn how to play the beginning to a Radiohead song oh. called "Everything in Its Right Place." That's good. But I I I, I thought I don't want I don't want to learn that.
1: That though. feels like a lot of work because students. Uh, unlike you might be thinking there's no guitar in this room right now it's just, <laughs> guitar. It's just Brian playing so it's a- it's a
0: thing it's called musical typing it's <laughs> this is the classical classic electric piano setting on garage band yeah. which is our our very simple format we're using to as our, our, our you know our interface for this yeah. but yeah I know you were Whatever. expecting
1: Brian in here with like he's got a guitar. There's a whole <laughs> he like steps up to the mic. <laughs> guitar.
0: A guitar, like it's strung around my neck, like Those and I'm playing it. Objectively fun and hey funny. everybody, uh, they are objectively <laughs> funny. Um, somebody photoshopped my head onto a guitar player person really? and send that to me, and we'll put that up somewhere. Yeah, okay? that's a good idea. Do it. Um, wha- uh, this week we've got our topic is practice our, yes. our weekly word is practice and we're talking all about ethics in the yes. new, in new testament what we're talking should about you do? It, it's just a it's a placeholder in a way for all kinds of books and things that don't really fit into paul's letters but they're not the gospels but they're not the book of revelation which is our last mm-hmm. book and so um we had w- you know we we had a little foray into some of these ethical kind of concerns in books like james and things mm-hmm.
1: like that you know i'm not an ethicist myself but mm-hmm. i always think that ethics I mean, for the Christian life, for the just the daily lives Mm -hmm. that we lead. Oh, yeah. I don't know if there's a more important, more one single week um, of more importance than this, because it it really puts like your feet to the pavement. Right. How do you actually do all this stuff? We've talked about all these highfalutin ideas. Right. And then like, how do you live your life?
0: Now, there could be so many great artifacts we could pull up here um, for this. So many great um, um, ways of of thinking about, (laughs) you know, just like what's an ethical dilemma but but here's here's one it might 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 be a stunner for you what about this problem of hell for christians just the ethics of hell like is god really going to throw people into eternal conscious torment away from him for not believing i mean and it affects the way that we live our lives the things that we either do or don't do maybe even our actions maybe you know whether we pray the sinner's prayer all kinds of things like this and for our artifact we've got something that we're gonna have to unpack this my friends Yeah, because this is a deep dive into it's a little evangelical bit before culture. your it's a little bit before your time. I think this is circa two thousand five, but this is a deep dive into evangelical culture. That yeah, give it to us.
1: Okay, so students way back in the day when your way parents back. way back were when you were in elementary younger, school, yeah, probably when you were in in elementary school, there was um, a big theological argument between um, two people who I would think of as kind of figureheads of American evangelicalism. Um, a guy named Rob Bell and a guy named John Piper, very
0: different figures,
1: two very different figures. And yet shared also a lot in common. (laughs) Um, so John Piper, Rob Bell, uh, Rob Bell, um, is was I'm not sure if he still identifies as evangelical but at, at one time he was a very popular evangelical speaker and teacher and pastor and he wrote a book wherein he it's argued It's called Love Love Wins. Called Love Wins wherein he argued for a doctrine called Christian universalism. Um or did he it's not actually that clear, but there was some conversation. Is Rob Bell now a universalist? Which is to say. And
0: which, yeah, wh- what is this Christian universalism? Which is to
1: say that Jesus, in the end, will save everyone. Love wins. The love of God, he argues, wins. Mm-hmm. Now this is a long-standing Christian doctrine it is true there are p- devout Christians who espouse this idea that Jesus will in the end mm-hmm. um, save everyone and the, the the part of it that makes it Christian is that Jesus does the saving mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. it's not that there's some sort of like big you know saving orb that saves everyone but no it is in fact the person of Jesus Christ right that's what makes it Christian universalism but then that it is I I would say that at least in American, christian circles that's a minority view
0: yeah not a majority view at all most
1: christians argue that jesus will not in fact Mm. save everyone and that sort of energizes Mm. their quest to share the gospel because they believe that not everyone will be saved and one of the leading voices of that about you know 10 years ago was a guy named John Piper. Mm-hmm. Popu- popular
0: pastor up in the Minnesota, Minneapolis area. Huge, like huge,
1: that. huge. Such an interesting, um, popular guy who wrote Public a book theologian. called desiring God, I think. Was yeah. his. Yeah. I big think that's one. his most famous book. Yeah. Yeah. Where he argues for among other things, Christian hedonism, but he, he a- argues, um, that no, in fact, and so he put this tweet out that said when
0: the book was published, just a tweet, yes. just, just a couple of words
1: It said, you want to say it?
0: Farewell, Rob Bell.
1: There's so many <laughs> funny things about that tweet. You know, he's. Do you a great have it up creature. on your computer right now? Do, I do. you have the tweet up there? I do. Farewell, Rob Bell. Farewell. Why Rob was he? Bell. Why
0: was he saying farewell, Rob Bell?
1: Well, I think, and you know, he didn't give you give us any more context, but we can judge from all the rest of his many writings on this right. topic that he thought that Rob Bell was now taking himself outside of Christian right. orthodoxy. Right. That right. he he was saying goodbye to him as a brother in Christ, which is a pretty crazy claim. I mean that not crazy, but like it is a strong claim, a striking claim, right. and he did it in the most evangelical way possible on Twitter. On Twitter,
0: by excommunicating somebody. <laughs> you can, apparently, I mean, it was like his statement, like his ex cathedra from the throne statement. From the to of say, of Rob, you've gone over, you've gone overboard. You are no yeah. longer in the fold.
1: And then it span, it, it spawned all of these sort of like John Piper fan dude, you know, additional responses talking mm-hmm. about how yes, in fact, Rob Bell. Is now out. And then there was a whole conversation. No, Rob Bell's in. Right. And it was this long. And it's still going. People still bring it up. So.
0: So, friends, what are we bringing you this week? From the archives, in Bauman Auditorium, on campus, live, in front of hundreds of people.
1: Um, an epic argument.
0: An epic argument. Yours truly argued for the un- Christian universal salvation position. And yes. Dr. Joseph Clare, one of our teaching members, um, for this week even, argued for what, what what we're calling eternal conscious torment—the idea that hell is eternal and that God is gonna—they're gonna people are gonna be consciously eternally tormented in hell forever—and there's no no universal salvation. So we went head to head on it. Yes. And we did it. It happened.
1: It's it's actually pretty fun to listen to. I think
0: I I actually I, so I re-listened to it of course th- leading up yeah, to this yeah. and it was super fun.
1: Yeah. You guys did a good job.
0: I think it was fun. I think I think I worried as, as I was listening to it that, you know, we've made this commitment to students that we're arguing things that are only within the fold of Christianity, not like a Christian argument against like an atheist argument. Right. Or something. Right. And I don't want students to think that somehow like the universal salvation position is has been seen typically as meaning someone is not a Christian. That's that you might disagree with it. You may yeah, have all kinds yeah. of reasons. Typically in Christian theology, though, like not agreeing with eternal conscious torment does not actually put someone outside the fold of Christianity. No, like that's and not a thing.
1: Maybe afterward we can talk about the variety of, of positions. Yeah, so. maybe.
0: Well, students, we'll just give it to you live from the archives. Enjoy. <laughs>
1: It is my pleasure to introduce our panel to you all today. Uh, We have rolling chairs, so I'm going to be really careful here. We have Dr. Brian Doak, Hebrew Bible scholar who you heard from, also um, avid mountain climber, so he is really familiar with the idea of death and uh, (laughs) yeah. So he can talk a little bit about that. Um, we have Pastor Kenji Yokoi, who is pastor of International or Japanese International Baptist Church, and he also um, has an international aid ministry called Hope Japan. All around, excellent guy. Thank you so much for being with us, Pastor. <laughs> yes. And finally, we have uh, Dr. Joseph Clare, Dean of the College of Christian Studies, and also a fantastic. Um, theologian and historian and also ethicist and also he um, has a little farm out not too far outside of town Um, so he may or may not talk about that today I'm not sure Um, but we like to share a little fun facts interesting things about um, our guests so today we're going to have two views of hell two fundamentally Christian views of hell and I want to invite oh wait our debate partners, did you all decide who you thought should go first? first. Okay, I agree. Dr. Joseph Clare, please give us your view. (laughs) Not necessarily your view, but your version of a view.
2: Yeah, yeah. Good to be with you all. It's good to see you. I have the unenviable position um, of defending a very traditionalist view of hell as eternal conscious torment this morning against the honorable Brian R. Doke, uh, doctor. I once I co-taught a class with him one time, and I was in the hall at break, and I heard a student remarking, after Dr. Doke had corrected their incorrect view of a text that we were reading, he said, "Yo, dude, you got doked in there." And so, my hope is that I don't get doked this morning. I want to begin uh, with the words of Jesus, the most bracing image um, of the afterlife and heaven and hell in the new testament for me matthew 25 31 through 46 if you want to look at it later if you have your bible when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him then he will sit on the throne of his glory all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from the other As a shepherd separates sheep from goats, he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, come you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. As Dr. Doak said on Monday, the Bible presents God as judge, judge of history, judge of our lives, judge of the here and now. But it ultimately, in a stunning array of images, presents God as the final judge. A final analysis or reckoning in which God, indeed Jesus Christ, the one we've been talking about all these weeks, will be the arbiter in that final scene. We find it here in Matthew 25, you find it in Revelation 20, you find it all over the New Testament. The stunning thing about the final judgment is not just the scales of justice and the analysis of good and bad and rewards merited and punishment deserved, but you actually find that there's only two paths, two options, or two outcomes in the final judgment. Those apart from Christ will receive eternal rejection and punishment in hell, while those who are in Christ receive eternal blessing and welcome into the fullness of life with God unquenchable joy and it's that stunning fork in the road that scripture makes clear the bad outcome hell is depicted as some kind of eternal form of suffering conscious eternal suffering it's both depicted as a kind of physical or transphysical pain depending on what the resurrected body of the damned ends up being and it's usually represented in terms of fire. You get the language of eternal fire in Matthew 25 that we just read. Hell, where the fire's never quenched in Mark 9. A Gehenna, a place of fire, a lake of fire in Revelation 19 and 20. And also a kind of interminable corruption where a worm eats and never dies. Those damned will be tormented day and night forever and ever, it says. But it's also depicted as a place of separation from God. The physical pain might even be outweighed by this idea of an eternal loss of God, a rejection or a separation from God. And you get that very clearly in Second Thessalonians and elsewhere. And for those of you who have experienced tremendous physical pain in this life or someone you love has, you know that that pain threshold when you're getting up toward 8, 9, 10 nerve pain, it's just radical and unnerving. But you also know the kind of psychic, emotional pain of the soul has its own uh, kind of torment. If you've been in a bad relationship, done a bad thing or been on the bad end, the receiving end in a bad relationship, it has its own kind of tragic suffering. The Bible depicts a kind of finality of the two outcomes eternal, unquenchable joy in heaven and this eternal separation and suffering from God.
1: One minute, Dr. Claire.
2: Perfect. <laughs> the finality, Jesus says in Matthew 12, is there are certain sins that will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. And furthermore, the Bible seems to preclude the possibility that in the afterlife, the outcome will be changed or another decision will be made. Hebrews 9 says it's appointed for mortals to die once and after that the judgment. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says we need to turn now. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. There is an intuitive temptation given our understanding of God as judge but also loving, compassionate God to want to lessen the blow, the severity of that thought of eternal suffering apart from God. But I say we need to resist this temptation, this temptation of a kind of hoped-for universalism that all shall be saved on the other side, because I think it fundamentally flattens and defeats the message of the gospel. Me, me, ah.
1: me,
2: me, 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 I will save this for the aftermath. Thank you.
1: All right. Thank you, Thanks. Dr. Claire. Thank you, Pastor. Dr. Doe.
2: I have a friend
0: who is a lawyer, and I texted him, and I asked him, what would happen, what would be my punishment if I was at Chapters and I saw a five, five, $5 bill of Fiverr right across and when the cashier wasn't looking, I reached across and grabbed it and I was caught on video. What would be the punishment? He said, he got back to me, he looked it up, he said, o- current Oregon penal code says that um, I would definitely, you know, be taken into custody. Um... There would be no jail time immediately. I might even be able to escape it being on my record as a felony if I did a class. I would probably have to pay a fine of a couple hundred dollars maybe, court fees. It's possible at the very worst that at the judgment date, I could get sentenced to 30 days in prison, but that's the maximum. All of this assuming it's a first offense and all of this assuming that I didn't actually assault anybody when taking the $5. Let's say though that upon doing that, let's say I really did that, and let's say I got to court and I, and I know all this and I'm like, okay, okay, I totally did a bad thing, It's wrong, It's wrong. <coughs> I know what the max punishment could be and I'm ready for it. I'm ready to go to jail right now for 30 days. I got 500 bucks here. I'm ready to do community service." And the judge says, thank you, we've heard all the evidence, we got it, you've confessed, thank you, Brian. Your penalty is a fine of 95 trillion dollars. You will spend 10 years in prison, hard torture, waterboarding, and in solitary confinement. And at the end of the 10 years, you will be executed in front of your family, first offense. Eternal conscious torment as an idea of God's punishment in hell is not just the horrible moral equivalent of that kind of punishment. It's not just way worse. It's infinitely more unjust and unfair and not worthy of God. And I want to describe a little bit more about why I want to present this idea to you. An idea that I'm going to call hopeful universal salvation. Hopeful universal salvation. As a contrast to eternal conscious torment ECT for short. Um, By the way, this view is is crucially different from ECT, and it's perhaps not the majority view, but it has been suggested and embraced by respected and orthodox Christian theologians like Karl Barth and and, um, Hans Urs von Balthasar, arguably the most important Protestant and Catholic theologian, respectively, of the 20th century, as well as ancient luminaries like Origen of Alexandria and Gregory of Nyssa. In summary, here's what this view is. Christians have good reason to hope Not to be sure, not to dismiss scripture, or to dismiss judgment, but Christians have good reason to hope that the hard and terrible price Jesus paid on the cross is not limited in its power, but that in fact it's going to save everyone eventually. And I want to distinguish this view, by the way, very quickly from what I'm going to call cheap, open universalism, which would be the idea that, oh, we just die, it doesn't matter what we did, we just like leap right into Jesus' lap and he pets us like a pet and it's just like there's no consequence. I'm not arguing that and I don't believe that and I don't believe that that's an adequate Christian view, therefore I reject it. I want to suggest to you four ideas here, which I'm going to frame by, if you remember way back in our first semester, do you remember the Wesleyan quadrilateral? A way that Christians have made decisions for centuries. Scripture, reason, tradition and experience. First, scripture. Dr. Claire, I mean, I was listening to that story and I was like, man, that is a good, that thing that Jesus said, that was awesome. Like, that is true. Like, I, that's a great scripture. But there are other scriptures, too, that he didn't mention, didn't have time to mention, that I think <coughs> present a very different picture. And if you wanna read the Bible literally, I bet some of you are really into literal Bible reading, why don't you try some of these on for size? First Corinthians 15 has a passage that says things like this. I'm gonna to have to skip parts of it here for a time. But he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead The first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ. God is going to subject all things to himself, he goes on to say, so that God may be all in all. So this presents a philosophical, scriptural conundrum for us. How can all be made alive in Christ? Literally all. And how can God be all in all, if we're into simple literal readings of Scripture, if in fact there is an eternal conscious place where while you, let's say all of you are in heaven, yeah, you made it, but you get to know for eternity that like your brother's having his face burned off in a separate like existence that is going to go eternally along with you in your awesome place. It would seem that God isn't all in all in a situation like that, unless you really double down on ECT and say no, God actually loves it so much He's just really into the idea of torturing people for eternity and it's actually good and that is God being all in all. So you can ask yourself like how that sits with you but not just how you emotionally feel about it, how you reconcile that with a text like this which suggests that God will be all in all. Romans 5.18 actually says the same thing, uh, similar thing. Just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. Now Paul was a great writer in the New Testament. He said a lot of things. He had space and time, he wrote really long letters, to actually qualify that if he wanted to, and he didn't. He said all. Why did he say all? 1 John 2.1, Jesus died not just for us, the author there says, but for the sins of the whole world. Maybe Jesus did it, but it didn't work? What are we to do with that? Okay, I don't think any of these passages, by the way, are, are a slam dunk, but I think they're worth thinking about in terms of our, the afterlife. We have other ideas, too. I mean, ideas like even like annihilation. The idea that those who die will just simply cease to exist. Um, Maybe Matthew 10, you know, Jesus speaks of the wicked being destroyed both body and soul in hell. So there's an alternative, which is not everyone being in heaven with God, but it's not eternal conscious torment either. So there's Scripture and more can be said. Reason, I offered my little opening volley there. One of the most important legal and moral and ethical principles in Scripture is an eye for an eye. Eternal conscious torment violates the principle of an eye for an eye. Oh, man. (laughs) You can only sin so much in this life. You could live 90 years. You could be the worst human possible. Let's say you get punished for 180 years, 280 years, 580. Eternity? Was God just kidding about the eye for an eye thing? Or was God offering us some totally out there, bizarro, imperfect system? And then he has something that we basically can't even comprehend on the side of that. Tradition. A quick note here to say that although ECT has been something of a normative Christian view, there's a notable lineage of those who have dissented from it. I mentioned a few. I'll also mention John Stott. Maybe not a household name, but an evangelical conservative Christian of impeccable qualities in the community. Embraced annihilationism, at least, which is a very different idea. Finally, I'll just say here experience in my closing ten seconds. This issue involves the way that we talk to each other and practice evangelism and forces us to ask serious questions about what is salvation? Is it an instrumental, commercial, and, and I think immature view that it's just basically a ticket out of hell?
1: All right. What is
0: this life for?
1: Uh, <laughs> That's okay. what I want to ask. Thank so. you, professors. Yeah. Um, we now will have, yes. Oh, no. Thank you. you uh, we now have a five minute rebuttal session yeah. where you all get to talk with each other, and then I'm going to invite. Uh, our residential pastor to reflect on this pastorally and then we're going to talk with you all. So 5 minutes.
0: Dr. Claire, nice. you, you started on a very you started on a note which was a little I don't know, it wasn't the note I thought you were going to start on. You were kind of softening it like, "Oh, I've got this unenviable view of presenting this hard but sad truth. If you believe that eternal conscious torment is true, why don't you just embrace it? Why not just say, why not just own it? <laughs> say, actually it's great, it's awesome. It's God's way. I love it. I even worship God in the
2: face of it. It's not it's not unenviable. You have the enviable position in your view, right? I think the idea that fellow creatures made in the image of God are going to suffer interminably in any way is not something I delight in, for starters. For second, after reading Matthew 25, don't you feel a little uneasy about your own eternal destination, Mm -hmm. given the kind of vision of justice and faith and repentance in that passage? But for, for starters... I'm convinced by you, Dr. Doak, but I'd rather be convinced by what I find in the scriptures and train my reason from from what I see there. And so, for starters, I agree we should hope for the salvation of all, but the New Testament makes it clear that that hope should manifest in urgent preaching and appeal to people now, not just to get out of jail free or escape the fire, but to turn in love and faith and repentance to a God who is holy and loving, for starters. Second, I think you have to recognize that there's something about the gravity of sin in the face of a holy God and the gravity of what Christ did at the cross that's connected to the gravity of our understanding of hell. And I think that we easily underestimate the glory of the cross when we start to think of hell in these terms. Third, I just want to say this quickly because I want you to respond If you hope for the universal salvation of all after this life, you have to go all the way. You have to picture yourself around the campfire forever singing kumbaya with Satan at your left hand and Hitler at your right. And there you are. The redemption found its way toward everybody, but that presents such problems for free will and the free will response that God wants from creatures it's sort of insane what bigger puzzles it opens up. And finally, I think it's just a fundamental confusion about the relationship between time and eternity. Especially your last image of 180 years for 100 for 90. That's just like I think it shows the limitation of our grasp of what the eternal is in relation to the temporal. Compelling, a compelling
0: 24 <laughs> points there. Okay, how am I going to come? How am I going to come back in? <clears throat> um, about the cross, about Jesus' sacrifice. Part of this, I, I agree with you that there are package deals here. Part of the ECT view actually comes in a package deal with penal substitution as the correct atonement view. If you don't agree that penal substitution is the correct atonement view, there's an open space here to see Jesus' work as meaning many different things. And I don't know if either of us would, by the way, would go in for something like the moral exemplar view, just like Jesus was cool and kind of was participating with it. I mean, it's much more serious than that. And I want to emphasize again that no, it's not just sitting with Satan and Hitler totally unredeemed in the end. I mean, I don't know, there's a little bit of mystery here in my view. I'm not, claiming, I'm not claiming that we would know for sure that this is the case precisely because I'm convicted by passages like Matthew 25. What I am suggesting is that there are other options here. Yes, I feel convicted by that, that scripture, but um, there are other haunting passages on a very different note. Maybe it's the case, maybe it's the case that um, a hopeful universal salvation view doesn't take evil and sin seriously enough, but Maybe it's the case that eternal conscious torment doesn't take God's goodness seriously enough, and we know, in fact, that God overrides people's free will in various ways. I don't know. I'm not. I, I love free will, but I'm not as bothered by that overriding. But of I don't. Free you will.
2: think God's goodness and justice co- penetrate or connect in some way? So why put love and goodness against or goodness? And justice against one another. I mean, an expression of justice is things getting what they deserve, things being put in their proper place. And it says like Psalm 96.10, that's that famous passage of judgment you allude to. One more minute. He will judge the peoples with equity. So yep. can't you imagine that maybe we don't know what equity is? Maybe our skewed vision of human justice is so skewed that we can't imagine like maybe there's different levels of consciousness or different types of suffering or things like I would rather doubt my own reason and the inscrutability, and go with the inscrutability of God's justice. Then try to fit God into the false consolation uh, trophy view. That's um.
0: that's totally fair. Although it's also the case that you should interrogate how much choice you actually have in coming up with the view that you have. The way you're talking about it, it's as though you think it's inevitable. I'm just suggesting it's actually not inevitable. So it's not just about doing that. I want to do the same thing that you're talking about, but. You're acting like that view is just—it's it, like it just came down from heaven, fully formed. It how hasn't. Do, how do you think we're meaning of, making about it?
2: How do you think the New Testament urgency about convert, repent, stay faithful yeah. under persecution, while you're being killed for your faith, it matters. Yeah. How do you square that with this idea that we're all on the same track anyway? Yeah. <laughs> ah, uh, I'm about to get timed out. Okay. No, but let's, know. Wait, let's
1: no. no, 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 dr right. Doctor, Doctor's Claire and joke.
0: We're gonna stay up here.
1: Yeah. Uh, Uh, I want to invite y'all to (coughs) sit down for a moment because... um, (laughs) And we're back. We are back. Students, I think it's worth noting that when we put these debates together, we try to pick positions that are far as far away from one another as we can get because one of the things that you all for those of you who don't enjoy the pop culture a particular pop culture smackdown sometimes you say oh you all you you your ideas were too close together we chose there's a broad spectrum of positions on what happens after death Mm -hmm. in terms of like christian you know what you've done in your life Mm -hmm. like how and then if you if when when you die um, how does Jesus save? There's actually tons of ideas about that. So mm-hmm. we heard two relatively far apart ideas that Jesus saves everyone.
0: Yeah. So I think this is something that can allow people to take a real a real stance as we tried to do in the debate and, mm-hmm. and defend and, and do. And so um, now... We have to go and, and do our reveal, which I, I realize when we have other people doing the debates, the reveals are a little less interesting. But at least I was in on this one. Yes. And um, but but maybe and I'll give mine as the culmination. Okay. But but you you give yours. What's your real view on this?
1: Well, my real view on what happens after we die is that um, there's a lot I just don't know mm-hmm. about it. So I'm sort of I was raised in sort of hippy dippy charismatic. um pentecostalism Mm -hmm. type circles and we're kind of like jesus saves and then i don't exactly know how it happens you know so i'm sort of cool with that okay but
0: okay but But, we, we have to have a mini debate within this right now
1: no, 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 The hippy no, no. dippy
0: charismatic position, though, is th- these are these are these are groups that deeply believe in hell. Oh, for sure. No, no, no. I'm yeah. saying
1: I'm not saying I don't believe in hell. Oh, okay. But I'm saying like the details of yeah. it yeah, are yeah. just so like who knows? Like how know? many demons? Yeah, how deep yeah, in yeah, the yeah, fire yeah. kind of stuff. I think when people start getting too particular about it, then yeah. I, that that's a red flag to me because the scriptures actually don't include much information about it. Right. So this idea of arguing for eternal conscious torment—that's—I right. was on my way to that. Oh, I see. Um, I
0: just wanted to strike up another debate. Yeah. I was yeah, in a debating debate. mood. I was it. in the mood. I wanted but another one. the idea there. of <laughs>
1: eternal conscious torment doesn't seem like, there, there doesn't seem to be much biblical evidence for that. Mm. So I'm like, why would we go there mm. if there's not a lot of evidences yeah. for that? So I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Well. But I tell you what, um, yeah, I, I come from, you know, I've been open with the students. Revelation is one of my favorite books. So mm-hmm. there is like this idea of God's righteousness and judgment mm-hmm means that there there must be like some sort of afterlife judgment. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't see any reason to go to eternal conscious torment. I see what you mean. What about you?
0: Um I really it, it's weird. It feels like a very kind of like weak, wimpy thing to do to say that I hope that universal salvation yeah, is true. Same. Yeah. But I do hope it I mean and in a way I think it's something I don't know why any Christian wouldn't hope that God's salvific power isn't that big. And as I mentioned in the debate, there are some prime Christian theologians um, of the 20th century today and beyond. Forget about Rob Bell. Like um, you can leave that aside um, who have who have promoted this idea. So it does have a Christian lineage, although it is something of a minority report from the Christian tradition. Mm -hmm. By the way, friends, if you're interested in Rob Bell. And you want to know more about this issue, Dr. Payne and I, just quick <laughs> advertisement. We shouldn't we, do this. We've held off all we year. We've held off all year, but now I want to advertise. We actually have a podcast called Weird Religion, which is not this yeah. class podcast. It's just something we've done for fun, for our professional purposes and just yeah. for enjoyment. Um it's we have like off the books. We have dozens and dozens of listeners, maybe even <laughs> h- hundreds of listeners. My mom. Uh, we have we have we have no, low, no, low we thousands, do. high hundreds of of, of Yeah, of, yeah of happy routine listeners and we continue to put out episodes but we did one on we basically do pop culture kind of stuff like mm-hmm. movie reviews and and mm-hmm. we'll talk about twitter and just stuff like that we have one called the heretic if you go to weird religion and you look back in the archives it's one called the heretic it's about a film about rob bell of that same title the heretic yes and we talk about rob bell there and so if you're into this and you want to know more about rob bell and what we think about him and just like the way he was portrayed in the media of this film you can watch check it out our episode called the heretic
1: Yeah. So you are hopeful. So anyway, I'm hopeful.
0: I think that I I, I do think that there is I I, I'm more confident maybe than you are. I don't know that there is there is kind of like there's a constellation of scriptural evidence. It's not all in one place and it's not systematic that, in fact, you know, after death, those who are not with Christ are definitely not with God. And that's kind of the way it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there are things like that and the imagery is very frightening. It's it's imagery of darkness. Mm -hmm. A fire of separation it could even be imagery that would make sense of a view like for instance annihilationism the idea that those who are not in christ are just like they just cease to exist like you just cease to have a soul you're just in nothing but even that's a very frightening concept you could say that that's just as bad as 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 the torment of a fire like a complete non-existence or you could say that fire is actually worse you'd rather not exist than be tormented forever in a fire so
1: it's the it's the eternal part that i don't that i'm kind of like yeah I can see that there's evidence yeah. for for like a yeah. a yeah. place of torment right. and and punishment. Right. But I don't I'm like, does, does uh, it does it? I don't see that it goes for that.
0: That kind of like that little that thing I brought up at the beginning of the debate about like, imagine if you were, you know, you shoplifted like a five dollar bill from a cash register mm-hmm. or something like would yeah. you be punished with with with, you know, and just like an over the top punishment. I do believe that that's a very disturbing question that people who believe in eternal conscious torment can't really answer very well. On scriptural grounds or otherwise, like, you know, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Jesus is a just savior. You know, like, how does any of that actually make sense? I feel I feel bothered by that as a Christian. But that doesn't mean it isn't true because I feel bothered by it. I'm just saying I do. So yeah. that's that's where I'm at emotionally.
1: I think that there's there are like there's so many different things going on with the argument for eternal conscious torment. But I think one of the big ones is this commonly used phrase that there's like No there's no hierarchy in sin Mm, like the mm. idea that any small infraction Mm -hmm. is damnable for all time Mm -hmm. there are there are christians who believe that that's true so like Like telling someone, you know, your significant other that, no, that outfit is totally flattering when, Mm -hmm. in fact, it is not actually flattering. Is in in the eyes of God the same as having an affair or something like that? Or the same as
0: a murder or or, or... or enacting a genocide as a world leader. Like,
1: yeah, so that can't be true. So that. Yeah, um, that I think it's the math argument that Mm. gets sort of like really it's the same you know but there are different there are different christian takes on that like so some some christians will argue actually no some some sins are worse Mm -hmm. or better than others Mm -hmm. not better some are worse than others and then some will say any sin is damnable for all time and i think that that's kind of what you and and dr claire were were arguing Mm -hmm. about you know Mm
0: -hmm. well students we kick it back over to you who do you think had the better better side of this where does this intersect with your own thinking